Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Chapter 17 in the book of Revelation. We're going to be starting chapter 17. We have a lot to cover. Again, everything will be in New King James Version. Chapter 17 is a little bit of a tough chapter. It's beyond a lot of what we comprehend now. Remember, a lot of stuff in Revelation is going to be a future event or something that is going to happen. And so many times it's tempting to try to speculate on what we think things are, but we want to make sure that we stay biblical and we're not speculating. And so chapter 17 is one of those chapters. It's kind of hard to understand because we don't know exactly who Mystery Babylon is. We don't know exactly what the city of Babylon, the empire of Babylon that's going to be rebuilt. And chapter 17 talks about the harlot of Babylon. It's mainly about what the Bible calls the great harlot, who is, think about this, the Antichrist bride. And so the one world leader is the Antichrist. The true leader is Christ. The coming one world bride of the Antichrist is Mystery Babylon. The great mother of harlots, the Bible calls her. The bride of Christ is the church. The reign of the Antichrist produces the tribulation. The reign of Christ produces the millennium. So you can see there's contrasting between the Antichrist Christ and between Christ. So the Antichrist who establishes his headquarters in Babylon, which will be a rebuilt empire, and the Jews will, and Christ will establish his government, his kingdom in Jerusalem, and then eventually we will get the new Jerusalem. And so you have to understand there's a lot of parallels because the Antichrist and Satan tries to copy Christ. Remember, he's one of the riders on the white horse, and we're going to see tonight Jesus coming on a white horse. And so the Antichrist is always trying to copy what God is doing. Even right now in this day, in this hour, Satan is always trying to copy God. He perverts things. He has no creative power. He can't do anything original. And so he perverts marriage. He perverts sex. He perverts mindsets. He perverts principles, ideas. Every area of society that Satan is ruling and running, he is perverting. Perversion means the wrong version of something. And so just like the Holy Spirit's moving in the tribulation, the false prophet's moving in the tribulation. Just like Christ is moving in the tribulation, the Antichrist is moving in the tribulation just like god the father's moving in power in the tribulation the devil's moving in the tribulation so there's this constant the enemy trying to keep up with what god is doing the bible says that god marks his followers in the end times just like the antichrist will mark his followers with the number of the beast which is 666 in the end times so he's always trying to follow he's always trying to pervert he's always trying to copy so in this chapter we're going to find about mystery babylon who is a woman that represents a demonic religious government one world order system so this is who it represents revelation 17 verse 1 Again, a lot of ground. We're going we're to go long tonight because I want to get through all of this tonight. But Revelation 17, 1, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. So John is going to be invited to look at the pum- punishment of Babylon the mother, the great religious harlot who the Bible says sits on many waters. When you see mystery Babylon, when you see this Babylon the mother, this great religious harlot, think about this false antichrist one world religious system. 
system. So in the Bible, seas and waters represent, we've been over this before, masses of people. They represent nations. They represent tongues. And the fact that this wicked, wicked woman is pictured as sitting upon the great masses is an indication that the world is going to support her and is going to celebrate her and is going to worship her. So when you see her sitting on the ocean or the masses of people, this is going to be the celebration. This is going to be the uh, honoring. This is going to be the tolerating. And this is going to be the upbringing of this one world religious system, the worship of the beast, the worship of the antichrist. And this is the harlot that we're seeing verse two with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So this harlot religious system will commit adultery with the kings of the earth. We'll, we'll get in bed with the kings of the earth. She'll conspire world leaders to produce a one world religion. And the wine of her fornication is a reference to demonization. This wicked woman, wicked woman, this is a tongue twister here, will lead people astray with deceiving spirits. So this is not just a natural religion or a natural one world order. This is led by demonic spirits. Remember last week we talked about the demonic spirits are going to go out and deceive the kings of the earth to gather them at Armageddon, and which we're going to see tonight, the battle of Armageddon, to fight against God and his army, which is going to be us. I'll show you this tonight. So that, that's what you have to understand about this harlot, about this woman. She's using demons to deceive the kings of the earth and the nations. That's what the wine of her fornication. It's speaking of demonic influence. Verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So John was taking the spirit to a deserted place, a desert, where he saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, and we already know the beast with seven heads and ten horns is the Antichrist. So the woman is sitting on the Antichrist, sitting on the beast, and this is making us assume or making us realize that her harlot religion and the Antichrist will exist at the same time, and the Antichrist Christ is going to be in support of this one world religious system. Again, some of these things are kind of complex ideas, but the fact that she's sitting on the beast, that means the Antichrist is supporting her. So this one world order, this one world religion, this one world worship of the Antichrist is absolutely support or this order is supported by the Antichrist. So that she is sitting on the beast who is the Antichrist. Revelation 17, four through six, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and the abomination and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So not only is she making the nations of the earth drunk on her fornication, her religious mindset, but also she's getting drunk on the Bible says the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So she's actually taking pleasure in murdering and martyring Christians. So this is what, what we're seeing here. The harlot, I know it sounds kind of complicated. The harlot who is this one world religion, this false system is taking pleasure and getting drunk on murdering and martyring Christians. So this is going to be this one world religious system that I've talked about before after the Christians persecuting the tribulation saints. It's going to be incredibly hard in the tribulation to be a believer because the Bible says that this other religious system is going to be getting drunk on the wine. I'm, I'm sorry, drunk on the blood of the tribulation saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So not only is she making other people drunk, she herself is drunk on their blood. 
We don't know exactly what Babylon is, but in the next chapter, we're going to talk about the fall of the city of Babylon. So she's determined to make this one world religion supported by the Antichrist. Grant Jeffrey, who's an end times teacher, said, Obviously, Mystery Babylon, the apostate pagan church of the last days, will not develop overnight. Such an ecumenical organization involving many diverse religious groups will be created by negotiation and conferences over years leading up to the tribulation uh, in the tribulation and the beginning of the seven year period it's therefore probable listen to what he says here that we are going to witness the initial steps towards this one world church of the last days before the rapture takes christians home to heaven so this bible teacher is saying it's very possible that we might see the beginning of this one world religion even before the tribulation so it's possible before we get raptured before the tribulation we're going to see the start of this one world religion this mystery babylon this great harlot the bible talks about verse 7 but the angel said to me why did you marvel I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns, which we've already talked about. We won't keep going over the same things over and over. A lot of this is just descriptive of what's going on here. So God's angel perceived that John was astonished and confused and said, John, I'm going to show you two things. I'm going to show you the mystery of the woman and the mystery of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns, who is the Antichrist, Revelation 17, 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition and those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was that is not and that yet is so this is what the bible's saying the beast existed prior to john's lifetime it once was did not exist when john received the revelation now is not that's what it's saying but will reappear at an unspecified time in the future and so i believe it's not just talking about the antichrist but it's talking about the devil who's going to fill the antichrist and is going to empower the antichrist again this is a very hard chapter to understand and to explain because we don't know the city of babylon we don't fully know about this one world religion we only have a few verses describing her so the bible says that eventually it will go to his destruction since god is going to cast the beast into the lake of fire and all of his followers with him okay so the rest of chapter 17 so this is gonna that is all we know about this harlot of babylon the rest of chapter 17 is going to describe some of the stuff we've already talked about and it's going to explain and i'm just going to read it revelation 17 9 through 14 again very short chapter very descriptive here here is the mind which has wisdom the seven heads so it's actually going to tell us what they are the seven mountains on which the woman sits there are also seven kings five have fallen we've already covered all this one is and the other has not yet come and when he comes he must continue for a short time the beast that was and is not and himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition verse 12 the ten horns which you saw are the ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast these are of one mind and they will give their power and the authority to the beast again we've already talked about all this these are the nations that are going to give their power to the beast verse 13 these are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast verse 14 they will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is the lord of lord and the king of kings and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful then he said to me the waters which you saw where the harlot sits which we just talked about are peoples multitudes nations and tongues verse 16 and the ten horns which you saw on the beast 
These will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Verse 17, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Okay, so basically what John is saying is something we've covered before. These nations, these kings are going to give their power over to the Antichrist. They're going to give them their power. And at some point they're going to turn on the woman. They're going to turn on mystery Babylon. They're going to turn on this harlot this one world religious system and this is what john is describing in revelation 17 so let's wrap up again revelation 17 is about the fall of the harlot of babylon an angel shows john this is the wrap up here or the recap he'll show john the punishment of the harlot who sits on the scarlet beast she's the one who the earth will commit adultery with the woman who sits on the beast is the mother of harlots and she gets drunk on the blood of the tribulation saints the beast comes out of the bottomless pit and into his destruction will astonish many because he was wasn't and is yet to come his seven heads represent seven kingdoms the beast is the eighth kingdom but will come out of the seventh kingdom the ten horns are ten kings who will rule with the antichrist during the tribulation we've talked about that before their only purpose is to give power to the eighth king who is the antichrist the beast and god will establish accomplish his purpose by planting the idea of destroying babylon the mother into the minds of the beast and his ten kings okay that's chapter 17 again short chapter on mystery babylon the harlot of babylon this one world religious system chapter 18 so chapter 17 this is why we're covering all the way to 22 tonight because a lot of this is descriptive so chapter 17 was the judgment on babylon the religious system okay chapter 18 is the judgment on babylon the city so in the last days again we don't know babylon exactly where it will be some people say america some people say it'll be in europe some people say it'll be in the middle east we don't know exactly where babylon is going to be but there's going to be an actual city called babylon it's going to be the headquarters of the antichrist and in, again in 17 we saw that religious system and in 18 we're going to actually see the destruction of a literal city called babylon so when you read chapter 18 and when i describe chapter 18 i want you to think of an actual city revelation 18 verse 1 after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So after witnessing the destruction of the religious system, this is all on a timetable, John gets a new revelation. He sees an angel coming down from heaven that is going to now deal with the one world political and economic system of the city of Babylon. And this, when this angel arrives, the earth is not going to be lit by the sun, the moon, or the stars, but the earth will be lit by the angel's glory. And that suggests to many scholars he'll come directly from the presence of God. Remember, angels are very important in the book of Revelation and God's end time, end time timeline. And so here we're going to see an angel that is illuminating so bright. Remember, the sun's going out, the stars are going out, darkness is covering the earth, and now this angel is illuminating the earth. Revelation 18 verse 2 through 3 and he cried mightily with a loud voice so now the angels crying with a loud voice saying Babylon the great is fallen and is fall and Babylon the great is fallen is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons a prison for every foul spirit and cage for every unclean and hated bird verse 3 for all the nations have drunk the wine of her wrath her fornication the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury so this is a picture of a government and a business that's obsessed with controlled with this one world system and so now we're seeing the merchants of the earth 
all these nations, all these governments, world trade, by the time the tribulation period arrives, John says all these businesses and all these institutes and all these massive corporations and companies are going to be intoxicated with the money, with the power, with the wealth that the tribulation has produced. And they're in full support and they're extremely wealthy because of this harlot, or I'm sorry, because of Babylon and because of this one world order, because of the mark of the beast, because you can only buy and sell if you have the mark. They've been intoxicated. They're infatuated by this one world order. And this is some of this stuff is already happening now, as many of you are saying. Revelation 18:4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues. So a voice, another voice from heaven urges God's people to leave Babylon for two reasons. Number one, so that they don't get involved in Babylon's sin. Again, we're, we're, thinking, we're talking about literal city and culture here now. And so they will not fall victim to the plagues that God is about to inflict on Babylon. Even during this terrible time, God's wrath being poured out. It's obvious God still cares for the tribulation saints. God still cares for all of those that got saved when the after the rapture as the tribulation has begun and God is warning his people now get out of Babylon we again we don't know where this is geographically but God is warning his people you need to get out of Babylon because there's going to be wrath poured out on Babylon there's going to be destruction poured out as we're about to see on Babylon and so he's literally telling them to come out of the city so that you don't fall on these plagues Revelation 18 5 for her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities so in the Old Testament, God did not overlook what Babylon was doing when she tried to build a tower to heaven. If you guys remember, in Babylon was the Tower of Babel, where they literally were building a tower to heaven, and God confused their language and scattered them around the world. And now God is saying, I have remembered her iniquities, her sins have reached heaven, and now God is going to burn the city to the ground. God is going to destroy. Remember, we're at the end of the tribulation period, where Christ is about to come back, and God is now bringing destruction on these systems that were built for the seven your period god will destroy these systems revelation 18 verses 6 through 7 render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works and the cup which she has mixed mixed double for her and the measure and listen to what it says here and the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously and the same way measure give her torment and sorrow for she says in her heart i sit as a queen and i'm no widow and i will not see sorrow so the voice from heaven is declaring judgment on this actual city saying in the same way people live there in sin and luxury and arrogance and pride i want them to receive a torment for the sorrow or sorrow and torment for the same type of luxury and double of the luxury that receives. So in the same way they indulge in compromise and sin and fornication and taking advantage of people and taking advantage of people selling medicine and taking advantage of people with food shortages, God says, I want you now to bring torment or this voice says, now there's going to be torment and destruction on the city mixed double for her. Verse eight, therefore her plagues will come in one day death and mourning and famine and she will be utterly burned with fire for strong is the lord god who judges her so this is the home of the one world order the global trade she thinks she's very powerful she controls weapons great armies the city is massive the bible calls a she but compared to god she is nothing and so what no earthly army could destroy or do god is going to accomplish in one day this entire city is going to be wiped out this end time harlot city is going to be wiped out chapter 18 verses 9 through 10 the kings of the earth 
who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Again, talking about a literal city. Verse 10, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, the great city of Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. So this destruction of Babylon, we're talking about worldwide news. When this city collapses, when God burns this city to the ground, it's going to produce worldwide news. People are going to talk about it. Kings, dictators, politicians, all of those that supported this city, all of those that took advantage of the wealth of this city, this wicked, wicked headquarters of the Antichrist are now going to grieve and cry as they see their city go into rubble, as they see smoldering rubble go into the air, pillars of smoke as God destroys the city. The Bible calls it a mighty city because, again, it's the headquarters of the Antichrist, the false prophet. There's wicked rulers, leaders, presidents that are living in the city, and God is about to burn the entire system to the ground. Again, showing the world you don't mess with God because for these seven years, they built the city of Babylon. They built this empire of wealth and money and finances. This massive city, you think New York or San Francisco or any of these big cities are opulent or powerful. These will look like nothing compared to Babylon. This will be the devil's headquarters and God is going to burn it down in one day. It's not going to stand against the Lord God Almighty. Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. So think about this. Businessmen are weeping over not a loss of life, not people going to hell, not even their own sins. They're weeping over that they've lost customers, that people no longer are buying their goods. They can no longer take advantage of people selling medicine. They can no longer take advantage of tribulation saints and the Christians. And so now they're weeping because no one will buy their merchandise. It's getting burned to the ground and they're losing financial opportunity. And they've taken advantage of people all throughout the tribulation. This is next level greed. And they're literally mourning. They're not mourning because people are dying and getting killed in the plagues. They're mourning because they're losing customers. Verses 12 through 13 merchandise of gold and silver so this is what they're dealing in gold and silver precious stones and pearls fine linen and purple silk and scarlet every kind of citron wood every kind of object of ivory every kind of object of the most precious bronze iron marble cinnamon incense fragrant oil and frankincense wine oil fine flour and wheat cattle and sheep horses and chariots and then the last look what it says here in verse 13 and bodies and souls of men so not only, how, how disturbing is this? Not only does the Bible say they're trading everything expensive. Again, John doesn't know what a car is. He doesn't know what aircrafts are. So he's, he's relating things to what's valuable in his times. That's why he's saying cinnamon, incense, fragrant, frankincense. You say, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, you got to understand John's describing something of value. So you're talking about cars and you're talking about wealth and technology. These are things that they're selling. But the end, it says that they're also selling or dealing in bodies and the souls of men. So John's describing the things that are buying and sold, bodies, which is actual physical bodies, body parts, and selling people. And then when the Bible says the souls of men, it's speaking of slavery, showing us that during the tribulation, these greedy men that are mourning and crying over Babylon being destroyed, these greedy men are actually selling people into slavery. There will be a slavery movement, a slave trade will be reinstituted in the last days, and probably a lot of Christians will be sold into slavery in these times. And this is what they're trading in. They're crying because now they're losing business here because God's destroying the city. Chapter 18, verse 14. 
The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more. So the global leaders and traders are going to acknowledge that their Babylonian dream of wealth and success has been destroyed. All of the glory, all the riches of this great, most powerful city is now going to be gone. It's just going to be a distant memory. Verses 15 through 16, the merchants of these things who become who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. Here they are crying again saying, alas, alas, the great city that was once closed in fine linen, purple, scarlet, adorned in gold and precious stones and pearls. So these businessmen, they're not going to go into the city. They don't want to be around it, but they're going to stand from their sky rises. They're going to stand watching on TV, standing at a far distance, weeping and wailing as they watch the city burn to the ground. Verses 17 through 19. For in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. So within one hour, the city's completely destroyed. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and all those that traded on the sea stood at a distance and cried when they saw the city smoke, the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and they cried, alas, alas, the great city who had all the ships of the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour, she's made desolate. So now again, we have more traders, more businessmen, crying this whole again this whole chapter is about the destruction of babylon and lots of these guys are crying about mourning about the destruction of a wicked city chapter verse 20 rejoice over her now now the script changes watch what happens in verse 20 rejoice over her O heaven and you holy apostles and prophets for god has avenged you on her so here we have the difference between god's people and the godless people one group will rejoice and sing the praises of God. The other will, will mourn the loss of their God and their God is money. So one group is rejoicing, saying, thank you, Lord, for destroying this wicked city. And then the other group is, is mourning because they've lost their God and their God has been money. So in the end, Babylon will brought the judgment on itself by rejecting God, rejecting God's people, killing people, mistreating God's people, and being drunk on the wine of her fornication. This massive city is going to be brought down and there's going to be praise and there's going to be worship and not only in heaven but i believe also on the earth among the tribulation saints verse 21 then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying thus with violence the great city shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore so we're going to see this mighty angel taking up a stone showing us in the same way this massive stone is thrown in the sea never to be seen again never to be remembered so babylon this great city is going to be thrown down and will not be revealed and not be found anymore verse 18 of chapter 18 verses 23 to 24 the sound of harpists musicians flutists and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore no craftsman or no craft shall be found in you anymore and the sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And in her was found in the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. Okay, what does this mean? It sounds complicated. Here's what John is saying. There was once a time where there was music and concerts and lights in this great city. Almost think of like a Las Vegas type lights. Everywhere this great city was opulent. It was powerful. The great men, the Bible says, were there. They lived there. And no longer will there be trade. No longer will there be lights. No longer will there be concerts. No longer will there be businesses. This once lit up thriving city that the antichrist reigned in his headquarters will now be completely destroyed and it will be darkened and there'll be nothing left of it and this is what the bible's talking about when it says the lights will be gone the sound will be gone there'll be no music it's talking about the desolation of the city okay chapter wrap up 
an angel comes from the presence of God and declares destruction on the great city of Babylon. A heavenly voice will call God's people out of Babylon so they don't come under the Babylon's plagues or be destroyed with Babylon. Babylon gets destroyed by God in one hour. Her sudden destruction leaves the entire world wailing, weeping, crying because of the loss of money. Those in, who, in heaven who suffered at Babylon's hand will rejoice over the judgment that God releases on her. And a mighty angel will throw a boulder, a boulder the size of a large millstone into the sea to represent the totality of Babylon's destruction. Babylon will never rise again. There will never be another Babylon. This empire, this organization, this city, this entire ecosystem is gone. It'll never return. And this is the destruction of Babylon. Okay, we're moving good here, guys. We do got a lot to cover still. Chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord to the Lord our God. So after the destruction of Babylon and the worldwide reaction that follows, this multitude of people crying, now you're going to see a multitude of rejoicing in heaven. They're likely going to be people say the tribulation saints, but it also could be the church, angels, Old Testament saints, but they're now singing praises to the Lord, praising him for his salvation, praising him for his glory, praising him for his power, praising him for the things that he's done. And this is a loud voice that John is hearing. Verse 2. Chapter 19, verse 2. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he's avenged for her the he's avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. So those praising God are declaring his truth and justice because he destroyed this one world religious system, this harlot, and this one world city that was the headquarters of the Antichrist and avenged, and by doing this, avenge the death of his people. Remember, I think it was in chapter five or six, the uh, tribulation saints that were martyred were saying, Lord, when will you avenge us? These are all fulfillments of the Lord saying, be patient. I will avenge you. The time has not come yet. Eventually, I'm going to avenge you. This is part of God avenging these people, avenging his uh, church and avenging the tribulation saints. Verse three, again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. So this is the second time we hear a shout from heaven, Alleluia in heaven. Um, one of them for the destruction of Babylon, the mother of harlots, and the other one is for the destruction of the city. However, this is more than just the destruction on earth because they're going to thank the Lord. And here's what they say, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And it means that these people, in, not only in the city, but the city have gone into everlasting destruction. The smoke going up ever and forever speaks of the eternal lake of burning fire. That's what it's talking about. So I want you to realize, though, the rejoicing that these uh, angels, these tribulation saints, the church is having, it's not rejoicing like, we're so glad you killed all these people in Babylon. We're so glad you killed, and we're not, we're not praising like over death. We're, we're praising and we're rejoicing because God has stopped the Antichrist and this one world order, that God has destroyed this one world order. And so the rejoicing is everybody thought who can stop the Antichrist? Everybody thought who can stop this great, opulent, powerful, wealthy city? And now everyone's rejoicing because God has stopped the Antichrist. God has destroyed the city and there's something to praise about. There's something to worship about. So don't be mistaken. There's a reason why they're praising. There's a reason why they're worshiping. They're, they're worshiping because of what God has done and because of what God is doing and the destruction. So there's not just we're praising because a bunch of people died. We're actually praising the Lord because God has stopped the Antichrist reign. The city's been destroyed. Verses four through six. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, amen, alleluia. Then a voice from the throne saying, praise our God, all his servants and those who fear him, great, 
both great and small. Verse 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So nobody knows who the voice is saying, praise our God. It could be one of the uh, four living creatures. It could be one of the Christians there. It could be one of the 24 elders. But there's a voice coming out, and they're bringing praise. They're bringing honor, and they're bringing glory to the Lord for what he's done and for his power and his grace and his majesty. Revelation 19, 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. So this will be a great day in heaven because it's now time for the Lamb who's Christ, marriage to the church and the bride of Christ. And God's servants are now rejoicing and giving him glory because they're anticipating the marriage of the lamb. And in regard to what was this timing, when did this happen? This will take place after the destruction of Babylon near the end of the tribulation period. And this will be until death do us part type of wedding. This is not going to be a temporary thing that's going to happen during the tribulation. This is going to be a permanent marriage between the lamb and between, the bri- and between his bride, which is the church. And so now they're preparing, they're praising, and they're saying the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And this is going to be the special union. Many people believe, some people believe that the wedding of the lamb is going to take place at the beginning of the millennial reign. Others believe it's going to take place right before Armageddon because they're saying, well, we have to marry Christ. There has to be that wedding before we come to the earth and reign with him. Needless to say, we don't know exactly when the wedding is going to happen, but it's going to happen either in the beginning of the millennial, right when we come back to the earth and reign with Christ, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, or it's going to happen right before the battle of Armageddon when Christ returns, the, the wedding is going to happen. Revelation 19, 8. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Okay, so this is the bride of Christ. This is us before the wedding. We are now in fine linen, clean and bright. But I want you to see what the fine linen is in verse 8. The fine linen, the Bible tells us, we don't have to speculate, is the righteous acts of the saints. So before it's marriage, the church is wearing fine linen, which is the righteous acts. So whatever righteous acts you've done, whatever you're doing, you're going to be, these will be worn as a gown or as like a robe, as a wedding dress that God's going to wrap us in these righteous acts. So for all of you that say acts don't matter, works don't matter, what we do for God doesn't matter. It does matter because the Bible literally says that this is what the bride is wearing on the wedding is the righteous acts of the saints, these right choices we've made. Chapter 19, verse 9. Then he said to me, Right blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And so, and, um, again, John heard an angel tell him to write. This time he was told to write about the wedding supper of the Lamb. All those who are invited to attend this are blessed, the Bible says. So this is what Hale Lindsay, who is a Revelation teacher, said. Hale Lindsay said this. Well, Revelation 19.9 pronounces a blessing on the guest at the supper. It doesn't indicate the time of the supper or the place of the supper. And this is what he says. It's my feeling that the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride will take place on earth at the very beginning of the millennial kingdom of God. So he believes that the wedding supper of the lamb is going to take place on the earth at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Again, nobody truly knows. This is just us interpreting how we feel we can interpret it, but no one knows exact timing. Revelation 19.10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. This is the John falling at the feet of the angel to worship him. And he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So after writing what the angel said, John falls at the angel's feet to worship him. And the angel says, don't worship me. Don't worship me. I'm just one of your, I'm a fellow servant. I'm not God. Only worship God. So again, 
These angels are powerful. They're majestic. They have authority, but we're never to worship angels. We're never to praise angels. Remember, during the tribulation, people are going to worship Satan. They're going to worship demons. They're going to worship the Antichrist. The false prophet will demand worship. However, in our in Christianity, we're forbidden to worship or to pray to anything but God, anyone but God. We don't pray to saints. We don't pray to spirits. We don't pray to angels. We don't worship angels. We only pray to God. We only worship God. We only give honor and glory to God. We never, never, never pray to a saint. We never, never, never pray to Mary. We never worship Mary. We never worship saints. It's only to God. And even the angel says, no, 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 John, don't worship me. Don't praise me. Only worship and only praise God. So if you're involved in anything that is telling you to worship a pastor, worship a leader, or bring glory and honor, worship, get on your knees before a man of God, that's all unbiblical. It's all false. I've seen a lot of these ministers in other countries that have people get on their knees before them. This is wrong. This is not God. We are only to worship the Lord God Almighty. That's it. We don't worship any other gods. We don't pray to people, pray to any other gods. I must say this because many of you always say, is it okay if I pray to a saint? Is it okay if I pray to Mary? Is it okay if I worship so-and-so? No, it's not okay. We're only to worship the Lord God Almighty. Revelation 19, 11. Now I saw heaven open and behold, now this is where it gets, whoo, I get chills when I talk about this. This is where it gets very, very good here. Not that it, none of it wasn't good, but this is just starting to get to that climax here. Revelation 19, 11, Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges as he judges and makes war. So now John is seen Christ on a white horse. The Bible says he's called faithful and true. And this is, this verse by some call scholars has been called the climax of the Bible because the Old Testament uh, uh, prophets prophesied this event. Jesus predicted this event. Writers of the New Testament wrote about this event and everything we've studied, everything we've been reading in the last three, almost three months of teaching and training about this has all been built up to this one verse. And this is going to be an incredible sight to the tribulation saints on earth and a terrifying sight to the Antichrist and to all that follow the Antichrist because heaven will be open. Remember, it opened the first time when John went up. Remember the heavens open and John went up and heard that voice. And that's when people say represents the rapture of the church. And it will be opened up the second time when Jesus comes back with his church. And so a rider on a white horse will appear. The first rider on a white horse was the Antichrist. He Remember he appeared in the beginning of the tribulation. He was one of the riders on, on the horses. He was the white horse. He was trying to mock or mimic Christ. This is the true rider of the white horse who is Christ. So this is um, in ancient times when mighty warriors would ride in. They would ride in on white horses to declare war. If you rode in on a donkey, it was because you were de going to declare peace. If you rode in on a horse, it was to declare war. We know Jesus came the first time on a donkey. And the Bible makes it clear right here in Revelation 19, uh, verse 11, that he's coming back on a war horse. He is not coming to die again. He's not coming to lay down his life again. He's already laid down his life. He's already shed his blood. He is coming to establish a government that will never end to rule on the earth for a thousand years and to destroy the antichrist and the false prophet okay this is christ on the right um on the white horse revelation 19 12 his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns his he had a name written that no one knew except himself 
And so his fiery eyes speak of his jealousy, his power, his righteous anger, his insight, his knowledge, his many crowns reveal his authority and his royalty. And we know that Jesus has many names. Jesus is one of them. Lord is one of them. Christ is one of them. Wonderful is one of them. Counselor, son of God, son of man. There's tons of names for Jesus, but when he comes back, he's going to have a special name that is only known to him. No one will be able to understand what the name is. It'll only be known to him. Now, will someday God reveal the name? We don't know. Maybe someday God will reveal what that name is, but when he comes back, he will have a name that only himself will understand. Verse 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name and his name is called the word of God. So the robe dipped in blood is a symbol of what is about to take place. The prophet Isaiah tells us it represents the blood of his enemies. So he's going to come back to deal with hundreds of of millions of unbelievers at the battle of Armageddon and the battle of Armageddon will be a bloodbath. And this is why the Bible says his robes are are dipped or dripping in blood. This is a representation symbolic of the blood of his enemies. His name is the word of God. And this can only be explained by looking at John's other book, the gospel of John. And in this gospel, John calls Jesus the word of God made flesh. And so we know the rider of the white horse because of this is Jesus Christ himself. According to the Bible, there's the written word of God, John 5, 39. There's the spoken word of God, which is John 3, 34 and John 6, 63. And the living word of God, which is John 1, 1, John 1, 14 and Hebrews 4, 12. Those are the three different ways we see the word of God. The Bible is the written word of God. Um, as we preach messages full of the Holy Spirit, that's the spoken word of God. As I'm preaching inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's the spoken word of God. And then Jesus is the living word of God. So the written word, the Bible, the spoken word is as we preach, as we prophesy, as we pr um, pronounce the kingdom of God has arrived. And then Jesus is the living word of God, Revelation 19, 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So I want you to notice here, Jesus comes back. The clouds are open. He's coming back. Following Jesus on white horses, clothed in white linen, is the, not army of heaven, is the armies of heaven. So the armies are going to follow Jesus. And who's going to be in that army? You guessed it. If you're a believer right now and you got raptured and you're a believer when Christ came back, you're going to be in that army. The only ones that are not going to be in that army are going to be the tribulation saints. Excuse me that have survived the tribulation, that are alive at this point, all of those that were mur martyred in the tribulation, all of those that were believers before the, in the church age, and all of those um, saints are going to be coming back on a horse with Christ. We're going to be in that army, okay? And we're not going to be, I want you to notice what we're wearing. We're not wearing dark colors. We're not wearing camouflage. We don't have to get fight. We don't have to get bloody. We don't have to get dirty. The fine linen, white and clean, will prove when it's over that God's armies won't even have to live a finger, lift a finger because God is going to win this battle on his own, but we are going to be there with him. And the reason why we're going to be riding white horses, which I cannot wait for, is an indicator that we will be victors with Christ, okay? Ed Henson said this, each of us will be in that heavenly army that returns with him from, glo um, from glory. In fact, you might want to take a pen and circle the word armies in 1914 and write your name in the margin of your Bible next to it for every believer will be there when he returns. So this is a com comprised, most scholars believe, and this is what I also believe, of four armies. One army will be the entire church from Pentecost to the rapture. The second army will be all of God's holy angels. The third army will be all the martyred tribulation saints. And the fourth army will be 
Old Testament saints, okay? So that's what most scholars believe is the four armies that are going to return with Christ, but we will be there on those white horses. It's going to be an incredible time, an incredible day. And we just hit 3,000 uh, viewers. Let's go ahead and share this and get these numbers up. Praise the Lord. Revelation 19:15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it, he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with an iron, a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. So Jesus will be the only one in this army that's carrying a weapon. We'll not have weapons, only Jesus will. And his weapon will be a sharp sword called the Word of God. So it's going to be coming out of his mouth, a sharp sword, which is the Word of God. And we know from previous weeks that out of the breath of his mouth, he's going to slay all the armies of the world. So it's not even going to be a battle for him. It's one word, one breath out of his mouth, the armies of the world, the Antichrist, all of these hundreds of millions of soldiers are going to immediately um, lose this battle. They're going to immediately be destroyed. Now, the reason why it says he'll rule them with an iron rod is it's speaking of the millennium, the millennial kingdom where Jesus is going to establish a government. He's going to establish a kingdom. There's going to be no lies, no murder, no deception, no crime, no war. God is going to prevail for a thousand years. Knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth and Jesus will be worshiped and we will praise him on the earth and we will rule with him for a thousand years. Uh, Revelation 19, 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Jesus returns as a king to establish his kingdom. Every earthly king will submit to him and every individual is going to call him Lord. We don't know exactly. Is this going to be some type of like tattoo type thing, some imprint? We don't know. We just know that on his robe and also on his thigh will be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is incredible. Revelation 19, 17 through 18. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God and that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Okay, so what this angel who's standing in the sun, and a lot of this is hard to comprehend, is going to do is prepare a banquet, a, a feast. He's going to tell all the birds to come and get ready to feast on the kings of the earth because there's going to be a massive battle at Armageddon where Christ is going to defeat hundreds of millions of soldiers and the, the feast, and it's going to be a massive feast of horses, riders, people for these birds. Revelation 19, 19. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, okay, gathered together to make war against him, capital H, who sat on the horse and against his army. So here you have the battle. We're at Armageddon. And now we're going to see the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to war against him. Remember, the demons have gone out. They've convinced the rulers of the world to come fight against God. I believe because of the previous verse that not only will it be armies and soldiers, but I believe many of those that follow the Antichrist, many of those that follow the false prophet and the beast are also going to join in. Even if they're not soldiers, many just normal civilians are going to join in to try to come and to overthrow God to overthrow God's kingdom and to fight against the Lord and fight against us who are on the white horses. So here they are. The battle lines have been drawn. The heavens are open. Christ has come down with his army. The devil's there. All of his army, the hundreds of millions of soldiers, all of the kings of the earth have gathered together in this massive showdown, this massive battle, almost like a movie-like scene where the Lord is going to now take, or these armies are going to try to take on the Lord God Almighty. And this is what they call the Battle of Armageddon. Better name is the Battle at Armageddon. Again, they've already gone out, convinced everyone to fight against God, and now they've gathered to make war, and they somehow think they have a chance. And think about this. Every powerful weapon, nuclear warheads, tanks, fighter jets, technology, lasers, everything that will be around in these days, 
every technology known to man, every mass destruction weapon known to man is going to be aimed right at us and right at Christ as they try to destroy the Lord. And it's, they're not even going to stand a chance against them. They're going to try to make war against God. And there'll be millions of soldiers coming together to fight the Lord. Verse 20. Watch what happens. Okay. Verse 20. Then 19 of uh, chapter 19, verse 20. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. They were cast alive into the lake of burning, uh, into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Okay, so there's hundreds of millions of people gathered at Armageddon and there's only two people that get captured and that is the Antichrist who's the beast and the false prophet and God doesn't kill them. The Bible says, that God throws them alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So God captures these two in front of everybody. All the armies are gathered. Think about it, the false prophet, the right-hand man of the Antichrist standing right next to the Antichrist. The Antichrist is in front of 100 million people, battle armies ready to go. And God, first thing Jesus does, he captures the Antichrist, he captures the false prophet, and in front of everybody, throws them, I'm guessing the earth is going to open. Again, I'm just guessing that. And God's going to throw them into the lake of fire alive. They're not going to die. He's going to throw them alive. And there they will remain for all of eternity. A trillion years will go by and the Antichrist and the false prophet will still be burning in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And so he captures them. These are the ones that have deceived the people with great lying signs and wonders. These are the ones that got people to worship the beast. These are, this is the world leader. These, this is the leader of all these armies, and they're going to watch him get thrown in the lake of fire, and God judges them immediately and casts them in the lake of fire. Revelation 19.21. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Okay, think about this. Hundreds of millions of people. We already know there's a 200 million army from a couple weeks ago. And with the sword coming out of his mouth, with the word of God, which is the sword, he slays hundreds of millions, if not over a billion people. He slays them with the sword that's coming out of his mouth. And again, the birds were filled with their flesh and hundreds of millions of people dead at once. Imagine what that's going to look like and imagine the vultures and the birds that are going to be eating the flesh. It sounds, it sounds horrific. It is horrific. This is what happens when you try to pick a fight with God who's never lost a battle and will never lose a battle. This is no joke, guys. Revelation 19, okay, we read that. Okay, so let's recap chapter 19. We're gonna go to 20, 20, and 21 and 22. Those will not be very long. Those in heaven will rejoice and praise God because he's destroyed Babylon and because the wedding of the lamb has come. All those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb will be blessed. The second coming of Jesus will be marked by his return on a white horse, the armies of heaven behind him. He's going to destroy the nations of the earth with the word of God. At the battle of Armageddon, Christ will destroy the armies of the earth. He'll capture the Antichrist and the false prophet, throw them in the lake of fire. An angel standing in the sun will get all the birds together to prepare them for what's called God's supper, where they will feast on the dead bodies of those who oppose Christ at Armageddon. So that's the chapter wrap up chapter 20. Oh man, we're going here, guys. Everybody take a little water break there. 48 minutes in and we still got two more. Oh no, we got 20, 20, three more chapters. 21 and 22 are not long. 20 will be the longer portion, but type one if you want to keep going here. I'm going to turn my fan on me because I'm sweating here. Okay, Revelation 20 verse one. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless 
having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, okay? So now John is seeing an angel coming down from heaven to earth. He's going to have a key to the bottomless pit, which was taken from Satan in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. This is the key taken. And he'll also have a great chain in his hand. Revelation 20, verses 2 to 3. He laid hold of the dragon, the angel did, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him there for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released a little longer. Okay, so an angel will cast Satan bound and chained into the bottomless pit. The angel is going to seal the bottomless pit and the devil will not be able during the thousand year millennial reign of Christ, which is a thousand years, Christ is going to reign on the earth with us. No one will be able to get deceived. The devil will be chained up at the end of the thousand years, which we're going to see here in a bit. The devil is going to be released to deceive people once again. Okay. Survivors from the tribulation. So any of those that survive, those saints that survive the tribulation, not the unbelievers, but the saints that survive the tribulation, they are going to repopulate the earth during the thousand years okay and all the people from all the nations will go once a year to jerusalem to worship jesus according to zechariah and there will be lots of people born during the millennium um, again the tribulation saints are going to repopulate the earth um, at that time now what will happen with us we as believers if we're already in heaven because of the rapture or if we're um, martyred in the tribulation and we've died we'll get glorified bodies when we come back or we'll get glorified bodies when we stand before God but when we come back we'll come back in our glorified bodies and we will be there in the millennial period in glorified bodies ruling and reigning the nations with Christ okay so during the millennium you will not die if you're a believer right now um, you and you, if you're a believer right now actually no matter what because if you get raptured you'll still be in a glorified body and if you die you're still gonna be in a glorified body so any believer listening to me right now is going to rule and reign with Christ in the millennium period in a glorified body okay and the only ones repopulating are going to be the tribulation saints and those who survive the tribulation that are believers during that time remember the tribulation saints offspring are not going to know what temptation is there will be no real test of faith because the devil's not going to be around there's not going to be sin there's not going to be temptation it's going to be really like a perfect environment and so it's not really going to be a fair environment because they'll never be tested so the reason why god is going to let satan out one more time is to test those that have never had a chance to be tested so that's why he lets them out one more time but i want also get you to remember some people say we're going to live hundreds of years. Some people say we're going to live a thousand years, 500 years, 600 years. I did a lot of studying and research because I wanted to say we're going to live hundreds of years. I couldn't find real conclusive evidence that says during the millennium, we are going to live like 500 years. So I don't know, but it's definitely a lot of scholars do believe that we're going to live hundreds of or people are going to live hundreds of years during the millennium. And there's going to be a population boom. But again, the earth will be being repopulated for 1000 years, which by the way, 1000 years is not a short period of time. The millennium is a long period of time. It's a long time um, to go. Revelation 20 verse four. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God and who had not worshiped the beast or his image and not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for 1000 years okay so the souls of those who had been beheaded those tribulation martyrs are now going to rule with Christ for a thousand years again in glorified bodies they're not going to die we're going to rule with Christ for a thousand years so we're going to rule with Christ along with the martyr tribulation saints for a thousand years in glorified bodies and um those that survived the tribulation that were believers in the tribulation became believers which many people will are going to repopulate the earth for a thousand years and again what I'm teaching you guys is not some new thing that I'm coming up with this is like 
80 to 90 plus percent of Bible, Revelation Bible teachers and people that do commentaries and scholars, which I get a lot of my information obviously from. And so this is not like some new doctrine where it's like, oh, this is like Bible teachers and uh, fathers of the faith have believed this stuff for, for years. So again, this is not some new stuff. Revelation 20 verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Okay, so Jesus said, do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, which is John 5, 28. So the first resurrection is called the resurrection of life or the resurrection of believers. The second resurrection is called the resurrection of damnation or the resurrection of unbelievers. So that's what it's talking about here. Those that have died do not live again for those thousand years till the thousand years are finished and then they're going to be resurrected, but this is not a good resurrection. This is the resurrection of unbelievers, okay? And this is going to be them in the lake of fire and uh, bodies made for torment to be tormented forever. So this is the resurrection of unbelievers or the resurrection of the damned. There's many different ways that call it, but there's a verse, this verse tells us there'll be a thousand years between the two. So when those people die, they'll be resurrected before the great white throne judgment to be forever condemned, okay? Um, what verse are we on? We are on verse six. Okay. Verse six, blessed and holy is the one who is part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God in Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Okay. This tells us six things about those who have part in the, in the first resurrection. They will be blessed. They will be holy. They will be priests. They will be with reigning for a thousand years the second death will have no power over them they're never going to suffer the consequence of sin by being cast in the lake of fire um and they will be redeemed okay so the bible is saying blessed are those that over the second death has no power so if you are a believer if you're resurrected in christ the second death has no power over you and i'm going to show you what the second death is the second death is eternal damnation revelation 20 verse 7 now when the thousand years have expired Satan will be released from his prison. Okay, so when the thousand years has expired, Satan's going to be released from his prison. He's going to be released onto the earth. What is he going to be released to do? He's going to be released to tempt those who have repopulated. He's going to be released to tempt those who are survived the tribulation. Um, those kids or grandkids, great grandkids of those that survived the tribulation, those that have never been tempted before. Satan's going to be released from his prison to tempt the earth once again. And remember, they'd been shielded from temptation. There was no sin. There's no temptation. There's no sickness. There's no disease. And they've never been tempted. Now Satan is going to go about resuming his old ways. And here's the crazy part about Satan. He's going to try once again to gather armies to fight against God. This guy never learns his lesson. He never learns his lesson. So now once again, he's going to be try. He's going to, they're going to try. He's going to try to gather armies and gather people to rebel against God and to tempt people. Just like he tempted Adam and Eve. He's going to try to tempt those that are in the tribulation period. Now, those that are in glorified bodies. Okay. Let me make something very clear. If you're in a glorified body, if you've already died, you've already been saved. You're not going to be tempted again. You're not going to fall again. You're eternally secure. You're going to rule for a thousand years. So this is a great time to be alive because we're going to rule for a thousand years. This is for those tribulation saints, um, not tribulation saints. Tri yes. Tribulation saints that survived. Okay. Revelation 20 verse eight, he'll go out and deceive the nation nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. 
Here we are again, Satan looking for an army at Gog and Magog, gathering them for battle, whose the Bible says number is the sand of the sea. He's going to pick up right where he left off, deceiving the nations, and he's going to try to repeat at the battle of Gog and Magog. He's going to try to repeat what happened at the battle of Armageddon, but he's going to try to win and become greater than God. And of course, he's not going to win. We know he's going to lose once again. Revelation 20, verse 9. They went up, they went, um, excuse me, they went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camps of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down out of heaven and devoured them okay so this is the gog and magog this battle this is the devil getting these armies together and they're going to come up among the camp of saints and the beloved city which is jerusalem and they're going to try to capture god's people and probably come against christ who's going to be there at jerusalem and the fire of god is going to come out of heaven and is going to devour them once again defeating them um they're going to be completely destroyed revelation 20 verse 10 the devil who had deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever revelation write this down chapter 20 verse 10 is the official retirement of satan this is the end of the devil's career this is of his career this is the verse where god once and for all throws the devil into the lake of fire and for a trillion times a trillion years for all of eternity satan will be tormented in the lake of fire this is why i tell people satan does not run hell because there's coming a day where satan will have his own torment and will be tormented for himself that's revelation 2010 this is a great verse to know i i quote this verse in deliverance when the devil tries to flex when demons try to say how strong they are this is the destruction and the demise of satan this will be satan no longer bringing destruction no longer his career is over he's captured he's thrown in a lake of fire and the bible makes it clear it's the same place the antichrist and the false prophet already reside and they will be tormented they will not be destroyed god will not destroy satan they will be tormented day and night forever and ever he will not torment people he will he will torment satan uh, satan will be tormented by the fire this will be the permanent end of satan's kingdom and the permanent end of satan's career and this is probably satan's most hated verse in the bible in my opinion this is the permanent destruction of satan i don't want to say destruction but doing away with of satan revelation 20 verse 11 through 13. then i saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose faith the face the earth and heaven fled away and those found no place for them and i saw the dead small and great standing before god and books were open and another book was open which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his work okay this is the great white throne judgment and this is reserved for all of those who died in their sins jesus said in john 8 24 you will uh, this is why i said to you you will die in your sins for unless you believe i am who i claim to be you will die in your sins that's john 8 24. this is that judgment this is not a judgment for believers this is a judgment for those that are dead in their sins that have died in their sin also remember the bible says for a thousand years they will not be resurrected again they are resurrected now to be judged for all of eternity this is the final judgment there will be no more judgment before god does away with the old heaven and the old earth this is it this is done this is the final judgment this is god declaring whether you're uh, those that are going to hell and God is showing them by their works by their actions by their sin this is why they're being judged their names are not found in the lamb's book of life and now God is bringing judgment I won't go into great detail because I have like lots of videos on the white throne judgment lots of videos on judgment day I've already taught extensively on this so I don't want to keep going over and over the same things but this is that white throne judgment Revelation 20 verses 14 through 15 and we'll take some questions at the end as well just remind me during the time we hang out for uh, verses 14 to 15 then death and hades were cast in the lake of fire this is the second death 
and anyone not written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire okay so this will be the end of the first death which is physical death and this is good news for believers but terrible news for unbelievers because they're going to want to die physically when they're raised from the dead and cast into hell but it'll no longer be possible so this is what we were talking about and death and hades are cast in the lake of fire why is that because there will be no need for death and there'll be no no need for hades the current hell which is hades and death will no longer be needed because remember after this no one will ever die again and no one will ever go to hell again this will be the final ceiling uh, ceiling of hell so death and Hades are thrown in the lake of fire why because no one will ever die again and because no one will ever need to go to hell again because once Christ the new Jerusalem comes no one will die no one will sin ever again this is the end of it so that's why we're gonna see at the very end of Revelation we're gonna see death and Hades cast in the lake of fire um and remember those those unbelievers will have new bodies made for destruction and their suffering will be eternal that's the second death okay so this will be the end of death as we know it but the bible speaks of two kinds of life okay physical life and spiritual life physical life is our physical life what we have when we're born the day we're born for me may 29th 1991 okay and spiritual life that's when you're born again so that's when you're born in the spirit and my spiritual birthday is january 12th 2011 so those are the two days i was born physical birth spiritual birth okay and birth means joined to in physical birth a soul and spirit are joined to a body so when you're born soul and spirit joined to a body in spiritual birth a, your soul and spirit are joined to God and that we call that receiving Christ or receiving the Holy Spirit or being born again or new birth and so these are the differences the Bible talks about of being born physical birth soul and spirit joined to body spiritual birth soul and spirit are joined to God the Bible also speaks about I know some of this could be confusing two kinds of death there's physical death and there's spiritual death and the word death means to be separated from so in physical death the reason why it's called um death in physical death the soul and the spirit are separated from the body so when you die your soul and spirit are separated from your body it's no longer you it's just it's just flesh it's just it's just a physical um substance in spiritual death write this down soul and spirit are separated from God so physical separated from the body spiritual separated from God the second life is eternal life with God and the second death is eternal separation from God being cast in the lake of fire so that's what the Bible says if you're in uh, in Christ you'll never die you'll you'll die but li you'll you'll live and never die you'll never experience the second death which is separation from God you'll experience the second life which is eternal life so we get a second life and believers get a second death so if you're not a believer you will die twice you will die once in your physical body and then you'll die again when you're cast in a lake of fire which is separate I hope I explained that well some of it could get confusing here but there's lots of good research and stuff you can do online okay chapter 20 here we go we're getting it guys chapter 20 recap an angel carrying a great chain will bind Satan and cast him into the bottomless pit for a thousand years to keep him from deceiving the nations those believers who died during the tribulation will be raised in the last phase of the first resurrection and will reign with Christ for the millennium those who take part in the first resurrection will be blessed because they will not face a second death after the thousand years Satan will be released once again to test the faith of the nations unfortunately many are going to fall prey and go to war against God but God will destroy them with fire and cast Satan in the lake of fire where he'll burn forever in unending torment Christ will sit on the great white throne and judge the dead those whose names are not found in the book of life will be cast in the lake of fire to suffer the second death okay Revelation 21 
Here we are, guys. Two more here. And I'm just going to read uh, 22 because I've already talked about the tree of life and all that before. But let's go to chapter 21, verse 1. Now, and, and don't get off now. Stay with me because we're about to take communion here very soon to just wrap everything up. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Okay. So very important here. John is seeing a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away and there will be no more sea. So a lot of people, when we talk about hell, when we say it's in the core of the earth, they say, well, how could it be in the center of the earth when the new Jerusalem is going to come? Why would hell be in the earth and God build the new Jerusalem on earth if hell's in the core of the earth? Okay. Understand there's going to be a new earth and there's going to be a new heaven. My personal belief is when the Bible talks about being cast into outer darkness, I believe that when this is all taking place, God is going to take the old earth and God is going to fling it into the universe, into nothing. And God is going to, it's just going to infinitely, the old earth is going to infinitely drift into the, into space for all of eternity. It's just going to infinitely drift. Space is endless. There's no end to space. And so those that are in hell, and the lake of fire are going to be in the center of the old desolate destroyed earth because we already know God destroyed the earth because we just went through all the plagues, the trumpets, the bulls. The earth is desolate. It's destroyed. And those that are in hell in the center of the earth, which is where I believe hell is because the Bible describes hell being in the center of the earth over and over. I believe when it says God's throwing into outer darkness, God's going to hurl the earth into outer darkness, being space. And then God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. So just understand something. It's not just a new heaven the new jerusalem but there's also going to be a new earth and john says the new earth is going to have no more sea now the sea it uh represents 71 percent, i believe of the earth is water is the sea so really that's a small percentage of the world is actually land so imagine the world with no sea how massive it's going to be scholars believe there will be no ocean one we don't need an ocean but number two and so there's more landmass. So God creates a new world. Um, Isaiah also predicted a new earth in Isaiah 65, 17 and Isaiah 66, 22. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away in Matthew 24, 35. Peter said the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise and the earth is going to be burned up in 2 Peter 3, 10. John here is seeing a new heaven and a new earth and God is going to create it and there's going to be no waters, okay? There's no sea. Revelation 21, 2 through 3. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. People, God himself will be with them and be their God okay so in the original creation God came down from heaven to walk with Adam in Genesis chapter 3 in their wilderness God dwelled in the dwelt in the ark of the covenant where he talked to his people in Exodus 25 In the new creation God will come down with the holy city and God will remain on the earth with us in the new Jerusalem forever and ever and let me say this before I quickly describe the new Jerusalem the best part about it is not the jewels and the gems and the golden streets and crystal all that the best part is that God will dwell among his people we will live among God and God will live among his people okay and I see some of you are arguing if the earth is flat or not come on guys stay on with us if that's what you're arguing about you're just in the wrong place period Revelation 21 4 through 8 and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Listen to this, guys. No more sorrow. No more crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write these, th these words are true and faithful. 
Um, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give, I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to, the, to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I shall be his God and he shall be my, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So verse 5, he says, I'll make all things new. So we're not fixing the old earth. We're not rebranding it, redoing it, renovating it, upgrading it, updating it. We are building a brand new one. God is, gonna, God is saying everything is going to be made new. Everything is going to be made fresh. And the rest of the chapter, John is going to visually describe the new Jerusalem to us. And I'm going to read it because, um, and then I'll talk to you, I'll overview it, but I'm going to read it because it's a description. So I can't stop every verse because, again, it's just a description. I, I have nothing to say on each verse. Verse 9, we're going to go 21, verse 9. You guys can read along with me in your Bibles. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the most precious stone, like jasper, clearest crystal. So this is the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, John, John Singh. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as a um, breadth, which is a weird spelling, but I'll explain this in a minute. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 140 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. The construct of his walls are jasper, and the city was pure gold. Think about this, guys, like clear glass. You're going to live in this city someday. So be excited because you're going to live here. It's not some, uh, some far off thing. This is a real reality. The foundations of the wall, verse 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, jasper, sapphire, um, chalcedony, emerald, the fifth, and then it goes through naming all sardonyx, sardius, chrysolite, beryl, topaz. I can't even pronounce some of these. Jacinth, amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. The glory of the new Jerusalem. And this is where I talk about, this is the, the glory of it. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for sun or the moon to shine, for the glory of God illuminated the Lamb um, is its light. And the nations and those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all, all by the day, and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And there shall be no means enter anything that defiles or causes abomination or lie, but only those who written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, so the main street he's saying is pure gold. The gold is so pure, the Bible says it looks like glass. And there's 12 pearly gates, each one made from a single pearl. John says the city sparkles like a precious stone, and he compares it to crystal clear jasper. An angel will guard each of the 12 pearly gates and the gates feature the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So we know each gate is going to be named after one of the tribes of Israel. The city has four sides with three pearl gates on each side. The city walls are broad and high with 12 foundation stones and the names of the 12 stones are written on each of the stones. 
The new city shines with the glory of God. It's the uh, a city is going to be the greatest, largest city in history. The new Jerusalem is 1,400 miles long. Okay, so here's where it gets practical because this is the translation of all those measurements. 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, and 1,400 miles high. Its walls are 216 feet thick. This means the new Jerusalem is either a cube or a pyramid. Six, listen to this, 216 feet thick is the walls. This is no joke. And these are walls that are made of pure gold. So this takes up half of the U.S. The city, this is a, this is a city that takes up half of the United States and extends half of the United States into the air. And it's built of the most expensive, rare, and valuable gems and jewels. Okay. So think about this half the US. If you drove halfway, how long does it take to drive halfway? Like two straight days or three straight days, whatever it takes. And you're still on one side of the, you're still barely getting to the other side of the city. So this is a massive, massive, massive city. Um, each of the city's 12 foundation stones are inlaid with precious stone. I already named all the stones. I won't name them again. The human mind cannot begin to comprehend this. And the best part about it, although there's exotic stones and it's expensive and all the wealth of the world is used to build this city or uh, wouldn't even amount to build the city, the best part about it is God dwells among us, is that his glory shines and illuminates the city. There's no need for the sun, no need for the moon. Okay, amazing. Chapter 22. I've done teachings on a lot of this too, guys, so make sure you go back. I don't want to just keep re-going over what I've taught. I've taught about Revelation chapter 22. Go to my older in May of 2020, or sorry, May of 2021. I taught about the New Jerusalem and some of this stuff. So I'm just going to read chapter 22 because it's another descriptive chapter, and then we're going to take communion. Again, these last few chapters are descriptive, so it's not a lot I could say in between. So let me read these. Let's all go over this last chapter together. We're going to just overview this because um, it's descriptive. There's no explanation needed. It's, it's just describing something. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. And now he's describing the new Jerusalem. Clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and the lamb. Verse two, in the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each fruit yielding its, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were there for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it and his servant shall serve him. So no more curses, no more sickness, no more death. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. There are no need for lamp nor the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servant the things which must take place shortly. Behold. Now I want you to notice in verse seven, what happens here? Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of prophecy in this book. So this is John 2000 years ago, getting a word from God that behold, I'm coming quickly. So we're in, we're, we're there guys. We're there. We're any day now. Now I, John verse eight saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel that showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that for I'm your fellow servant and your brother and the prophets and those who keep the word of God in this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book for the, t for the time is at hand. Do not seal the words. So he wants you to write, he wants them to write them. Verse 11, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Verse 12, and behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter through the gates into the city. So blessed are those that live right so that you can get in the city. Sin will keep you out of the city, guys. Live right so that you can one day enter the city. 
And this is what it says, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie. So verse 15 is talking about those that weren't able to come in and gain eternal life are those that do these things. They were not saved. They were not able to come into God's home and to come into God's city. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who have... Um, let him who hears say come and let him who thirsts come whoever desires let him take the water of life freely verse 18 for i testify to anyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book if anyone adds to these things god will add the plagues that are written in this book to him and if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy god shall take away his part from the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book so very stern warnings in revelation verses 18 through 9 and 19 do not add to this do not add to the bible do not add to the book it's not just talking about the book of revelation it's talking about the scripture the bible don't add to scripture don't add to the bible or you're going to receive the plagues that were written in the book i am coming quickly and then verse 20, who who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. And then verse 21, the last verse of the Bible, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And that is the book of revelation guys. Praise the Lord. Come on. Let's give them some praise here. Go ahead and clap. Go ahead and shout. Go ahead and do whatever you want to do. We have gone through every single verse in the book of revelation. Again, I want to tell you this was not this was almost three month journey was not the revelation of the antichrist was not the revelation of the seven angels was not the revelation of the beast this was the revelation of jesus christ and i'm telling you i feel like i know him better i feel like i got close to him guys how are you feeling we're at the end it's very bittersweet but we have taught through every verse in revelation i feel like i just ran a hundred mile marathon i never thought i would do that or be able to do that but by the grace of god all glory to god we have officially live on stream, not, not pre-recorded, live. We have taught every single verse in the book of Revelation. If you're new and you're just jumping on, we have every single video up on the channel. Let's take communion now. This is the perfect time to take communion. If you've never taken communion, I'm going to give you a minute. I have just a little cup here with some juice and I have a cracker here. So I want you right now to get your communion, get your cracker get your juice let me give you guys a minute warning here all of you that are taking communion with us tonight and i'll go and oh no we'll leave it here all of you taking communion grab your communion type one whenever you have it ready because we are going to do communion now and i praise the lord because i believe that during the tribulation my youtube channel and will still be up and all those videos will still be up i really believe that someone said that they felt that and they gave me a prophetic word saying that god showed them they they believe that god showed them that many people are going to watch that during the tribulation and i believe these videos will be watched for until the Lord returns and then year, years even after as we're raptured because YouTube videos, they never get deleted. So I believe in these teachings are going to teach hundreds of thousands of other peoples um, in our library and it's just going to be a blessing to many people here. Okay, everyone's ready. Yeah, I don't have old cranberry juice. Last time I had expired cranberry juice that was, juice that was fermented and praise the Lord, I don't have fermented cranberry juice tonight. All right, everybody's ready. Whatever you guys can grab, if you need to use water, you can use water, a piece of bread, a chip, a cracker, whatever you need to use, it's symbolic. It's all about the heart. It's not ex exactly about what type of thing you have. Okay, so if you don't know what communion is, it's a symbolic way to show we belong to Jesus and to remember what Jesus did for us. We're forgetful people. Many of us can't remember what we ate yesterday. And so communion reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross. The breaking of bread has to do with Christ's body being broken on the cross and the drinking of the cup has to do with the shedding blood of Christ, which is how we receive our forgiveness. 
communion was originally celebrated in Exodus chapter 12 as God's promise of protection during the Passover. And then Jesus redefined the celebration of the Passover. Him and his disciples gathered and eat to remember the purpose of the Passover. And Jesus made a new promise in Luke 22, 19 says he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus redefined that Old Testament Passover, that Old Testament communion. And now this is the new, new covenant, New Testament Passover, New Testament communion. This is the celebration that the blood of Jesus, the breaking of his body has, has given us forgiveness of sin. Now, before we do this, if you know me, I do this every single time. We're going to examine ourselves, okay? So this is found in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, and this is what it says. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. And so what we're seeing here, Paul is saying, examine yourself. Don't joke about this. It's not a game. Now, if there's kids, kids can take it. Anyone can take it. The point of it is not like kids can't take it. We need to be super serious. The point of it is if there's unrepented sin, if you're living a life of rebellion, a life of compromise, a life of sin, you need to examine yourself and repent before you do this. Don't take it lightly because what they were doing was they were taking communion and all that and they were making fun of the poor and they were overeating and they were abusing communion. And so Paul is saying, make sure you examine yourself that you don't abuse communion, okay? So right now, let's examine ourselves. Father, I ask you right now that you would show us, is there anything in our life that offends you? We repent, God, of any sin in our life that is just hurting you, any areas that we don't even think that are sin or know that are sin. Father, we pray that you would reveal them. Lord, we thank you for what you did on that cross. We just remember tonight, we honor you. We pray that this would not be taken in an unworthy manner. I pray every single person listening, every single person watching would take this in a worthy manner and that none of us would be like who Paul wrote about, but God, that we would all be taking it in a worthy manner. We would do it to your honor, your glory. Wash us, Lord. Cleanse us, Lord. Examine us. And Father, just forgive us of our sins and our unrighteousness. Cleanse us by your blood. In Jesus' name. I'm going to give you guys like 10 more seconds to just examine yourself. I'm going to get a drink of water here. Go ahead and exa keep, keep examining yourself. All right. Here we go, guys. We are going to take it now. Um, first, have your bread ready. Okay. Oh, wait. I'm on the wrong side here. I forgot my camera's on this. Okay, I have my bread ready. I'm going to read you 1 Corinthians 11:23. For I received from the Lord that which I also deliver you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay, so now we're going to all take the bread. All right. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five 25 says, In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay? So now we're going to take our cup here. I have some apple juice, whatever you have. And we're going to take this in remembrance of him. So everyone go ahead and just now you can drink. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, I want to read one last verse to you guys. Praise the Lord. And just and just as you're taking this, it's a powerful moment. Just be in remembrance of what God's done for you. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So right now, 
What we just did is we just proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim what Jesus did on the cross. And let's just take a minute right now and pray. Excuse me. Let's just take a moment to pray and thank the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for what you did on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for dying for us. Father, I pray over every person in the chat that you would wash them, that you would cleanse them, that you would deliver them, God, that you would heal them. Father, we know that there is healing power in your blood. There is healing power in communion. So, Father, right now we just pray for your healing anointing, your deliverance power to just break out, Father. We thank you for what you did. We thank you that you've afforded us deliverance. We thank you that you've afforded us healing. We thank you that you've afforded us breakthrough. And tonight we pray in Jesus' mighty name that, Lord, you would just release your power. You would just release your power that you took all, you took all our sin, God. You took all of our, all of our pain, Father. And I thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We can never thank you enough, Jesus. We give you our lives as an offering, a living sacrifice. And we just say yes to you. And Father, I pray every day we would be in remembrance of what you've done on that cross. We don't take it lightly. We don't think it's a small thing. But every single day, God, we we were reminded of what you did on that Christ. We honor you. We praise you. We give you all the glory, all the honor and praise. I pray over every person in the chat, Lord, that has been going through this revelation teaching. I pray that there would be a special blessing over every person, Lord. Your word says that there's a blessing for those that read and teach the book of Revelation. So, Father, we pray that you would release the blessing in Jesus' name. Father, release the blessing, we pray. Have your way, Lord. Do what only you can do tonight. Father, we just ask you right now for those that are in the chat, that you would bring blessing over their house, that this, the prodigal would be saved in Jesus' name, that bodies would be healed in Jesus' name, the power of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be released right now in Jesus' mighty name. Father, release your power, release your anointing. Holy Ghost fire be released into every home over every person right now in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, fill every person in this broadcast, in this chat, fill them with the Holy Ghost. Fill them with power. Give them a new passion. Give them a new desire to read the word of God. Lord, let this teaching, let the book of Revelation spark a hunger in them. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, God, that you're preparing us in these last days. You're preparing us in these end times. And that, God, we know that only you, you're the only anchor, that you're the only one that will that we could seek to, to be our refuge and to be our shelter in the midst of storms. If you're in a storm, Jesus is your refuge. Jesus is your shelter. And tonight, God, we glorify you. We honor you and we praise you. We praise you. You are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of all honor. You're worthy of all glory. And we worship you. We give you our life tonight in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, guys. Let's get some ones in the chat. Listen, guys, if you want to sow, if you want to give tonight, I know we've been live. We did a lot longer than usual, hour and a half here. You can give on IsaiahSaddle.com slash partner. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.IsaiahSaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week. Thank you.